Hello and welcome to the Kielder Observatory podcast brought to you by the Kielder Observatory based in Northumberland in the United Kingdom, situated in the Northumberland Dark Sky Park. I'm Ian Brannan and in this episode we're joined by Adrian West. Adrian West is an astronomer with over 30 years' experience. He has one of the largest independent astronomy and space accounts on social media. You might better know him as Virtual Astro. He's also got a book out as well, and he's going on tour. In 2024, his very first show will be at the Sunderland Empire. So to find out more about that and about Adrian and talk about the night sky as we head towards the back end of 2023. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome Adrian to the Kielder Observatory podcast now. Uh, Good to have you on, Adrian. Thanks for joining us. And first of all, how did it all start for you? Where did your interest in astronomy originally begin? Thank you for having me, Ian. Um, And hello, everybody. Um, My interest started off from a very, very small boy. Um, I live in a particularly nice part of Oxfordshire. And when I grew up, there weren't any streetlights or anything like that. Um, So I lived about two or three doors away from my grandparents. And obviously, as a tiny boy from a baby all the way up to a toddler and everything, we would go to Granny's for dinner. And then in the winter and things like that, we would come home at night when it was dark. There were no streetlights. So some nights when it was clear... I'd look up and it was incredible. Of course, it took my imagination straight away. And my parents would tell me stories, some correct, some not correct, about the night sky. And they'd point things out. Again, things correct and not correct. And it fired my imagination. I continued to enjoy this sort of thing. I saw Star Trek on the TV. I think that was airing then in the in the early 70s. And I was blown away by that. And there were Star Wars as I got a bit older and stuff. And it all relates to the night sky. It fired my interest. Um, and I continued to be very interested in the sky at night and stuff like that. I'd watch it every weekend, or every month, sorry, when it came on. And um, whenever there was something about space or the night sky, I was in front of the TV. My face was about an inch away from the screen. So I was really into it. And I grew up and continued to have that side interest Obviously, other things as you become a young, well, as a teenager and a young adult take over. And then I started to get a decent job, had decent money, could afford a telescope, that sort of stuff, and started to get back into astronomy, but in a more amateur astronomer way. And I did this for several years. I saw Saturn through a telescope for the first time. It took me about an hour to find it, 30 seconds to lose it, and I never, ever found it again in this telescope that I had. And then I bought the magazines, I got more kit, I got into it and into it and into it. I bought books, I really, really got into it. And then um, I joined some astronomical societies. I joined Newbury Astronomical Society, um, the BAA, the British Astronomical Association. I was invited to talks and things. I got heavily involved. I started presenting for them and doing stuff. And then one day we were doing the International Year of Astronomy 2009 and we were doing all these events and Maggie Philbin from... Um, from Tomorrow's World, one of my childhood heroes came on and she said, you really need to join Twitter and do what you do on Twitter. So I did in May of 2009 and it exploded. It went completely crazy and now nearly quarter of a million followers later, plus all the others on all the other networks, um, it's now time to take that and 
drive around the UK and talk to people for real. Wow, and it, and it all started with Maggie Philbin from Tomorrow's World. Amazing. Um, let's talk about meteors and meteor showers because they're one of your specialist subjects because, of course, you cover everything to do with space, really. But um, really, you, you particularly love uh, meteors and meteor showers. And, and why is that? Absolutely, I love them because they are so random. Um, and they are they are one of those, is it going to happen or isn't it going to happen? Um, when I started doing this, the night I met Maddie, Maggie Philbin, there were about 15 different TV companies and radio companies in my garden shed. The local astronomy society I was with, we decided to do a meteor watch. Uh, actually, no, it's a little bit later after I met Maggie because she'd already told me to go on Twitter. But anyway, she came to my garden shed. It was like um, mission control. There were all these laptops all set up either side and people tweeting and people posting images. We had telescopes set up outside. We had cameras. We had everything. And it was a phenomena. We actually knocked Miley Cyrus off of the top spot in the hashtags that evening. We we completely trended for an entire night on Twitter. It was fantastic. Um, and people loved it. So... It's an easy thing to do. You don't need any equipment or anything like that. Everybody went out and everybody saw a meteor. You only need to see one. You light the touched paper, as one of the astronomers said, and you just stand back and see what people do. And um, I still do that now. I do uh, guided outdoor sky tours for the National Trust on a a well-known landmark in Oxfordshire, Whitehorse Hill. And uh, when when it was the Geminid meteor shower last year... um, it had been snowing for about a week and it stopped snowing and the hill was all crusty. There was still grass there. It wasn't tremendously deep like it would be up your neck of the woods. Down here, it was really good for snow, shall we say. And we went out at about 7pm in the evening and it was lovely and clear. But where the snow had been sitting on the hill, there was about a metre of fog. And there are a few trees in the car park and everything. So when we actually went out there, it was like being in a scene from Harry Potter. It was really magical. And I had 30 people. We were supposed to be out for an hour and a half. We were up there for three hours because all we could see, it was like it was raining Geminids. It was unbelievable. They weren't massive meteors, but one every minute at least, um, or less. Um, And people were transfixed. And we would point and say, is there going to be one in this part of the sky? And all of a sudden it would appear. Fantastic. And that's what I like about meteor showers. They can really thrill. And you only need to see one to get that thrill. It's like catching a wave or seeing Saturn for the first time in a telescope. It kind of gets you hooked. Um, And I really do love it. And I think that's one of the big things. It's like the moon. Everyone can see the moon and everyone can enjoy the moon. Um, and you get all these people saying, oh, where's the moon gone? And you have to explain to them the phases of the moon and things. Um, well, it's, it's new moon. You won't see it at the moment. It's it's the other, other, around the other side. It's in the daytime. And and with meteor showers, it's just the same. Um, where are they going to be? What time? How many? Everyone wants to know now. Uh, will I be able to track this on my app and and stuff and like no you can't you can't do any of that just put your phone away you're not going to be able to predict any of this it's it's um it's far too random i'm afraid and that's what i love about it because it gets people out and it's that ah you know it's like that suspense with a meteor shower 
Yeah, and and uh, an amazing story there with Maggie Philbin in your in your shed as well. <laughs> another another unexpected twist in your uh, astronomy journey. Absolutely. In fact, at Kielder, we also have a shed. I don't think, as far as I know, that Maggie Philbin is in there. Um, but um, very few people have actually seen what is in there, so perhaps it is a possibility. Uh, part of the UK Meteor Network, and um, that's uh, part of the system across the UK tracking these kind of things. On the subject of uh, meteors, uh, we've had the Meteor Men on as guests previously, so if you want to cycle back through some previous episodes uh, and find out more about uh, meteors and meteorites and hunting for them, then um, check out that previous episode from a little while back with the Meteor Men. They are great, and they they um they the, again. I used to watch the TV program when it was on, and it used to be really exciting. And I'd love to do that. I'd love to go out, especially down to the north, down to the North Pole, down to the South Pole, and uh, Antarctica, and just walk around, look for these little black lumps laying on the ice, going, "Hey, there's a meteorite! Fantastic!" And go over there and grab it and pick it up. Um, best place on Earth to look for them. Yeah, best and worst at the same time, isn't it? Um, we're a good time of year, though, for meteor showers and, and some of the more notable ones on the way. The Leonid meteor shower peaking uh, mid-November, about the time that we're releasing this podcast, 17th and 18th of November, but uh, visible right throughout November. And then the Geminid meteor shower as well, which is uh, another of the big ones. I mean, you've usually got the two big ones, the Perseids and the Geminids. The Geminids in December are the, uh, the best, basically, because they perform you can go out and you kind of like guarantee to see a meteor the perseids are, are, are the well-known ones because it's summer people go out and they enjoy themselves and they have lovely bright fireballs um the leonids though the leonids are known for their outbursting and they are known to bring down or have the largest meteor showers in history hundreds of thousands of meteors i think it was 1833 people saw them fall like rain and they had to hang on to solid objects as they were the the feeling of passing through space terrified them and also made them feel quite unwell um they didn't know what it was um and every 33 years these outbursts happen i think so no, i don't i'm not sure if this year is an outburst year so 1966 was the last time that we had a really big outburst which was seen in texas um, we missed it in the UK because of the time of the night. Uh, but in Texas, there were people um, just seeing hundreds of thousands of meteors fall. Um, usually the Leonids, though, you're probably only going to get about 20 meteors an hour in its normal state. Um, if we get through a dense part of the meteor stream, which is the part that the Earth is passing through, um, and that's got lots of debris from the comet. I can't remember the name of the comet that, that we're passing through, but all that dust, all that muck and everything, if we hit a thick part, this is where it starts to build the actual rates of the of the, of the the meteors. Keep an eye out. Uh, it's the weekend of the show, actually, in Sunderland as well, is the peak. So when you've gone to the show, go outside, let your eyes adapt for a little while and look up, because it should be the right time of the evening as well. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you're guaranteed to see a meteor. Let's hope you see lots. It'd be fantastic. 
and something else that's been quite uh, prevalent over the last few weeks or so, the, the aurora. And of course, we're heading towards the solar maximum. There is a theory that we might be closer to the solar maximum than originally we thought, but um, it remains 2025. That's when they reckon it's uh, really going to be at its peak. And we have seen some spectacular displays of the aurora, not just in the north and the northeast, but further south as well. In the UK, the furthest south was the Isle of Wight. There were photographs taken of it from the Isle of Wight. Um, I didn't see it here because um, it got cloudy, which was a shame. But yeah, the, I, the photographs, I mean, I think I must have retweeted a hundred people who take photographs of it and it was everywhere, all over. I mean, people in Italy saw it as well. They took photographs on the mountains in Italy. I mean, hello. Um, and I heard today, uh, my partner was telling me that... Um, um, it's predicted now that solar maximum will actually come a lot quicker than what it was expected. Um, so, yeah, so um, we could be looking at solar maximum next year uh, instead of a couple of years' time. It does, yeah. And we're going to see more of these burps. And the thing is, as well, um, people say we see more of these things. And the reason why we see more of these things is because of social media. Um in the past, uh, before social media, we're all sat at home watching TV or just doing going about our business. And as humans, we don't look up. Uh, but there are some of us that do look, look up and go, oh, something's going on in the sky, quick. And they tweet it or they post it on Facebook or wherever. And then that then spreads. And this is why people are seeing more of these things. Um, it's like Starlink. It's like the aliens are coming. Um, you'll see a Starlink train come over and all of a sudden Twitter just lights up. And and you're like, oh, but it's there's going to be millions of well, not millions, there's going to be thousands of them up there. It's like something not to be excited about. But I guess people actually say, wow. And when you see these things, they really do like like look like UFOs, um, which again fires people up. I educate them and say they are fun to look at, but they're not good. They're not good. They're like too much ice cream. You know, you have too much of it, it'll give you a stomachache. Um, and and they learn, but it gets them wanting to see more. The ISS as well, I mean, that comes around in a couple of weeks. Um, the ISS, Aurora, I mean, come on. Aurora in the UK, you can't beat it. That's that's the top of the pile. Um, and, and there is so much to see in the night sky. You don't have to try anymore. And this is where what you're doing really ties in with what we do at Kielder Observatory as well and just pointing out what it is that's right above your head that you can see with the naked eye. We're not talking about deep space investigations. We're talking about looking at planets and looking at constellations. And I think people don't realise just how easy it is to see you know, a massive planet like Jupiter. It's there in the sky. They think it's a star, but actually it's a massive planet. During my travels, people have referred to astronomy or just stargazing just looking up as something which is out of their reach um i used to go to astronomy meetings um uh 20 years ago and there'd be no women there there'd be a couple of very 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 smart kids and a load of granddads and nobody in between and when you'd actually some people say what do you do for a living oh, i'm an astronomer or what do you do as an, an interest oh, i'm an astronomer oh good grief i wish i was clever enough to do that ah makes me angry everyone's clever enough to be an astronomer they be a research astronomer yes you need to train for that but to just look up and enjoy the night sky spend a bit of time to you know make some reason of it all and understand where things are and start with the basics anyone can do it dung beetles do it Seriously, dung beetles use the night sky to navigate. 
if dung, a dung beetle can do it or a bird can do it to emigrate south, I'm sure a human being who can't read can still look up and enjoy the night sky. We can all do it. doesn't matter how smart you are, who you are, how young or how old you are, everybody can enjoy the night sky. And that's what I do. Well, let's help people out right now and and look at what is uh, visible uh, through November, start of December. And one of the big things is Pleiades, isn't it? The Seven Sisters, that constellation, which is one of the the big landmarks, one of the the navigation beacons for for astronomers and and not just astronomers as well. You can tell us more about that. That's right. You've got these landmarks um, or sky marks and and you go out there and everyone knows them. The Big Dipper, the plough, the saucepan. Uh, you can see that any time of the year, and um, it's a great landmark. We all use it to find our way around the night sky. But starting from um, mid-August, you can start to see the Pleiades, or well, the Seven Sisters, start to come up in the east. But this time of year, you're really getting Taurus, the constellation they're in now, popping out. And you can see where the actual horns of the bull are coming out, and you, the, the Hyades cluster further down from, from the Pleiades. And then obviously later in the evening, you get Orion coming up, which is the most striking constellation in the night sky, I believe. And these are wonderful things. It's I wrote a book last year, uh, in sorry, in 2021, The Secret World of Stargazing. And I go through all of these different seasonal changes um, and what you can see and how to enjoy it and why it changes. Why, why is... Why is the sky different? Why is it moving at night? Why do I see the moon there one night and not there over there? I'm confused. And I I did the book. Basically, the book, which is on sale at the show, the book is a similar version to the show without the Hollywood effects. It's on paper. (laughs) Uh, So you can, yeah, provide your own sound effects and and visual stuff. Just look up, read it. And the the book actually uh, is is a good way to get everybody enjoying the night sky as well. Um, And I think it's got a different angle to it. So seasoned astronomers read it and go, that's really cool. That's fun. You know, or that's interesting to know rather than being logical about everything what a lot of people can be it's got a lot of emotion in it as well we'll talk about your show in a sec um but back to the book that you mentioned there and that's got a bit of an endorsement from professor brian cox himself he's he's actually done the forward for it which is quite nice on the not the forward the um recommended by on the front cover um um i've i've met brian in the past and we've been loyal followers of each other for many many years on social media and stuff so we've spoken to each other um i was inspired by his show to actually do this one i think um uh we went to see his show in birmingham uh, before the pandemic uh before covid and he invited us backstage uh, myself and my partner and um i fell down the rabbit hole <laughs> literally fell down the rabbit hole and I was hooked uh, not just by walking around with um Brian Cox and his amazing amazing magical unicorn skin coat he was wearing um but his way of explaining to me what he was doing and showing me all this kit and everything in the background and what he wanted to achieve and it was fantastic and and um he has a certain style which isn't my style. Our shows are very different, but they they are for the same audience, I would say. And maybe mine would be a little bit more general. Um, and 
yeah, I think it's nice. You can actually put our show on and his show on at the same day, and everybody would enjoy both, which is which is really cool. Um, he really gets quite deep into things. Um, I'm going to see his next show in a couple of months, actually, and I haven't seen the, the Horizons one. But I understand he gets into things quite heavily and really gets that brain going. Um, but he does it in a clever way, again, with the big screen, um, we used to use projectors and things, but for the night sky, you know, you can't, you have to go lead wall now, I say. So that's what we're bringing with us to, to Sunderland. So there's been this massive lead wall, epic sound, lots of music, lots of explosions, bangs, crashes, Hollywood, and um, silly on me on the stage telling you all about it, basically. Now, some people in the area might have been to see Brian Cox when he came to the Sunderland Empire and he had this massive digital LED wall. And so you're saying that you're sort of going down a similar route then? It's the same one, basically. Um, he can sometimes go a bit bigger. Um, we're getting bigger and bigger as each show goes by. So the one we'll have in Sunderland will actually be an 8.5 metre by... No, an 8 metre by a 4.5 metre lead wall. And it's self-supporting, it's absolutely huge, and the con- entire splendour of the night sky and the universe unfolds on it. Um, we use a tremendous amount of Hollywood-level special effects um, and imagery. Most of space and the night sky is imaged by people like Dan, who've got these massive telescopes, and... We want to fly around these. So I've basically spent years developing CG models of things in the night sky. We do a tour of the the stars, the different sizes. We um, fly around the Milky Way and, and Andromeda. And we look at all other aspects, including planets and things. And it's there to hold everybody's attention and to get them to understand it in an easy way. So we discuss the, how long a light year is. Uh, it's just lots and lots of zeros to, to a lot of people. And they don't understand what it is in a length. The human brain really can't fathom how far a light year is or the speed of light. So we, we use analogies and clever little entertaining things to get people to understand without giving too much away. Because obviously I want people to come to the show rather than just hear about it. Um, and it's a feast for the eyes with lots and lots of very light-hearted comedy fun and information and people go away and they really do enjoy it they 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 find it interesting that it helps them understand we do some tours of the night sky we do some constellations um stars um i try and trick the audience the astronomers always get it but the people you can tell the people which aren't astronomers always fail miserably and that's what i want i want those people to then learn from these things that we do and everyone has a great time it's a laugh and we all learn something and and this is it you know it's pitched at, at the everyday person so you don't need a massive uh, you know scientific degree to be able to understand what's going on but also you're there to give people a few hints and tips and pointers of of stuff they can get and buy to to set themselves up once they finish the show and, and take that knowledge with them, we do, we do. We even, uh, I even go through what kind of telescope people should buy. Um, I'm a, a staunch supporter of Dobsonian telescopes for beginners. Um, 
uh, for all the reasons you know of, obviously the big light gathering ability and stuff like that, we go through all the nasty telescopes you can buy from department stores. We throw those out and we go all the way through up to Dan's telescope and we have a nice massive CG version of a lead, uh, of a mead, uh, I think it's a GPX-80 or something like that. It's huge, this thing. And we try and do the Goldilocks um, of it. And of course, People then understand what kind of telescope they need to look at. They, need, they can look in the right direction. They know how to find north. They've found a few constellations in the show, and they know a little bit more deeper into the universe as well, what things are, what stars are, what galaxies are, uh, what planets there are. And there's some fun injected. There's a little bit of science fiction as well, um, which gets them laughing and, and stuff. So we, we, we try to mix it up with that sort of thing. Um, I'm not going to give anything away, but there are some shocking yet very fun parts um, I've been working on recently. Um, and they really do make you understand that the night sky isn't just about science, it's about having fun and enjoying yourself at the same time. Good stuff. Right. So if people want to come along to this show, then your show in Sunderland is the first one of the new year, 6th of January is the date at the Sunderland Empire, which I think will probably mean that you're the first show on after the pantomime's finished. So, uh, you know, you need to check behind you there. I think I am. I think it might be a panto after. I don't know. I mean, uh, we are in panto season, so I might actually have to dress up as a dame for that evening. Um, <laughs> it's a strong look. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually a frock and lipstick anyway, but um, no. Um, yeah, it's um, it, it's a good time of year to do one. Um, and um, the northeast, I, I feel like it's left out a lot of the time. And I wanted to do a big show in the northeast so I could bring everybody on board. Um, we will do more in the future as well. But this one is very important. Um, I've arranged it all myself. It's not done through a company, as you say. Uh, all of the shows that I do are, I made the initial phone call. I arranged it. I booked it. It's it's a bit like booking a village hall on steroids and um, <laughs> just a bit all the hiring and everything yeah and and all the hiring of all the kit and everything um is just hideous um i wouldn't recommend it to anybody and if you do want to do this sort of thing do it through a company that'll do it for you because it'd be a lot easier but unfortunately they take a massive cut which is which is bad and you don't want that so i've decided to go out and this is now my job I go around telling people all the wonders of the night sky. I make them laugh. Uh, I make them go ooh and ah. And we move on to the next. And it's a rolling tour. So we will be in Scotland next year. We'll be in the south of England in March. We're at the Lowry in Manchester. So the diary's getting fuller and fuller and fuller. Um, because more people want to see this and more people want to enjoy it. Um, and I enjoy it. I love being on stage. Um, it's really good fun. Uh, it's just the... Uh, it's the bits behind the scenes which can be quite tough and difficult to do. But Yeah, a bit of an organisational nightmare. But you've had to put a lot of thought into how the show is delivered. And this show is, is currently running across the UK, so you, you will have uh, done plenty by the time you get to Sunderland. But, uh, you know, it, it is accessible. So, as I say, you don't need a, a scientific background to, to be able to fathom out what's going on here. I put myself in their position. I put myself in their position. There's somebody who's never seen anything before. They've, they've never learnt about it. And I got to think, how do I explain this to somebody without being too technical and too heavy with a scientific explanation? Astronomy is really well known for being extremely hard for some people. You've got to be a certain kind of person with a certain type of brain to enjoy it. Um, I think that's wrong. And if you explain it to them in a way which they understand, um, 
with the show, I do that a great deal, and I make it the explanation explanations entertaining and sometimes shocking, sometimes soothing, and sometimes they are really like they pop and go, oh wow, you can look at it that way. Um, again, another example is the speed of light. Um, I show a way of where people can understand how how fast that really is in in real time rather than just loads of zeros. Um, uh, and um, the size of stars and the size of planets and and um, atmospheres and things like that and uh, and everything else in the night sky, the celestial sphere and everything. It's all explained in a way that general people could get it without us going to mathsy. There are no maths, by the way, in the show. So if you don't like maths, great, because there aren't any. We've we've managed to keep that out. Anything really, really technical, which could make people scratch their heads and send loads of emails after the show, we've pushed out of the way. But we still cover those subjects. And we don't dumb down. that. We We change the explanation. So instead of dumbing it down, a lot of people would say we're doing it. Not at all. I don't dumb it down. I change the explanation so people without a scientific background or a scientific understanding get to understand it in a way they can grab it, if you know, if you understand what I mean. It's taken a long time. It's taken a long time to scratch my head and say, how do I get this across to somebody who has no idea, who who is... Uh, they hate maths, they hate science, but they want to understand the night sky and they want to understand what this specific part of it is. How do I work that out? And it's taken years, literally, to to actually think about how to do that in a very, very fun and interesting way. And obviously this, this show is happening in the evening. Is it is it suitable for kids and, and what ages uh, would you recommend? Yes, it is. A- age 8 plus, uh, not little kids. Um, it's not a kid's show, but it's suitable for children, age 8 plus. Um, or around about that amount, because it's about two and two hours, ten minutes long. And, um, you know, they want to sit there and be comfortable and they want to take it in. So if you've got a six-year-old that's really into space and can sit there through a movie without moving... Bingo, bring them. Um, and if you're 106 years old and you can still tolerate sitting down for two hours listening to some fool on a stage, come along. It doesn't matter how old you are and it doesn't matter what sex you are either or what you're into. Um, it's billed as a general audience show uh, for everybody. And um, most people, 99.999% of people really enjoy it. Um, and... It's fantastic. I love doing it for that reason. If 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 it was rubbish or it didn't do very well, we wouldn't be doing it in Sunderland right now. <laughs> it's uh, it's taken a while. I've been doing this now since 2020 uh, or 2019, I think, is when we first started thinking about it. And this year and the end of last is when we seriously started to tour with it. Um, and uh, it's going to be a long maybe a 10-year progress where we'll have two or three different sequels to the show, at least two sequels to this show. Um, You can't go around with the same show all the time. We've got something new. Um, And that's actually being thought about now. So uh, The Empire Strikes Back is coming, and then The Return of the Jedi is coming after that in about six or seven years afterwards. So I'll keep on going. That's my direction. That's where I want to go. And I'll carry on doing podcasts and things with people like yourself and being down to earth as well. I'll walk around in the cold, 
pointing out, you know, stars to people, a group of 30 people and stuff. It's quite nice. I've got no aspirations of being on the TV or anything like that. But if they came along and said, do you want to present a show? I'd go, fine. Because I'm, no, I'm not afraid of it. I enjoy it. It's um, standing in front of 2,000 people is exhilarating. Okay, well, if uh, people want to join you then, Adrian, uh, on this night, straight into the new year, first uh, weekend of 2024, 6th of January, how do people go about getting their tickets then? Yeah, yeah, uh, tickets are selling fast, so don't dally. Get them now if you want them, um, because I, I'm, I expect this one, like many of the others, will sell out. Um, I hope it does anyway. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, and um, I'll probably be signing books and everything there as well after the show. So, um, yeah, it'd be nice to see a, a lot of faces there, and I'm really looking forward to it. Okay, well, uh, all the best with it, and thanks for joining us, Adrian. It's been a pleasure, and if you want to get your tickets to go along, thenightskyshow.co.uk is the web address, or you can go to atgtickets.com to find out uh, all the info you need about booking to go to the Night Sky Show at the Sunderland Empire on Saturday the 6th of January. Thanks for joining us once again, Adrian. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening as well. And don't forget, keep up to date with everything else happening at Kielder Observatory by following us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and indeed anywhere else, including the main website, kielderobservatory.org, with all the latest information and, of course, all the events that are coming up as well. There's uh, a variety of them, some specialist events, late-night events, family events as well, happening fairly regularly, especially as we get into next year and looking ahead to Easter. They're all on sale now. You can book up to the end of April 2024 at the time of recording this in November, so plenty of sessions to go at. and uh, lots of availability as well, especially into the new year. So please book ahead, and we'd love to welcome you to Kielder Observatory sometime soon. We'll be back with another episode of the Kielder Observatory podcast very soon, and in the meantime, happy stargazing. <laughs>